Okay, here we go. <clears throat> so, um, as I mentioned, what we're going to talk about is loneliness and social uh, rejection as an antithesis or an antithesis to um, social connection, feeling connected with other people. So, I want to spend some time just defining this concept of, of social connection and social loneliness by first talking about what is loneliness and how does that compare to the concept of rejection because in our brain social rejection and loneliness while they can be caused by the same things they're two separate processes when we're experiencing loneliness which tends to be much more long-term and much more chronic than just the, the instance of social direct rejection is what we call a negative emotional motivational state all right so when we're scanning the brains of people who are lonely and feeling loneliness or score really high on loneliness and we have them think about why they're that way the emotional areas of the brain the areas in the limbic system that go with the amygdala the hippocampal area and stuff those start to become active but also and so we call those serotonin serotonin uh, areas of the brain because serotonin is very much um, implicated in emotions and we see that those uh, cernogenic areas really become active but we also find that the motivational areas of the brain called dopaminergic mean, uh, meaning that the main neurotransmitter is dopamine which is our reinforcement type of um, motivational type of uh, neurotransmitter and and really prepares us for action become active because what we find is is that the emotional aspect becomes a protective device it makes it so the person becomes uh, hyper vigilant uh, somewhat paranoid withdrawn because what the what the brain is, if we want to say this, uh, put it in these kinds of terms, what the brain's trying to do is protect the individual from further harm and from further insult. Okay, but then there's this counter area of the brain that is the motivational area of the brain that is trying to promote the person to seek out social connection and social relationships to relieve the negative state of loneliness. So when we look at this, when we look at this concept, um, that's what I would encourage you to keep in mind. We know that there are two types of loneliness. The first one is called social loneliness. Um, in a lot of the literature, it's also called social isolation. And we have emotional loneliness. Social loneliness is when we experience not feeling like we have sufficient number of social connections in our world, meaning we don't have enough people that we could reach out to if we want to express something good in our life or need help in some way. And then we have emotional loneliness, and this is when we experience a loss of a true close emotional relationship. Emotional relationship being that friend, that intimate partner, that parent or family member that you can go to and you can talk about anything and they can talk about anything and you have this emotional psychological connection with this individual, okay. 
Now, I would love to tell everybody how many people you need to be socially connected to or how many emotional relationships you need in your life. But this is a subjective experience, okay? Uh, I, I always think about it like with some of my Facebook friends. Um, I have some Facebook friends who have eh, 20, 50 maybe Facebook friends. And then I have uh, friends who have a thousand Facebook friends, okay? And that's kind of what we're meaning is that it's a, a, a subjective need to have social connection. Neither one is right or wrong. It's just what that person needs to fulfill their needs their, and their connection with other people. Emotional loneliness is the same way. And I always think of this with the, I always compare two friends of mine. A friend, my first friend, if he gets in trouble, he can call me and, and talk it through, and then he can work it out. However, I have another friend who would call me, and then uh, she called her sister, and then her mother, and then another friend, and another person, because she needed that much connection on an emotional level in order to process what was going on in her world or, or what, what, what the issue was that she was having. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's kind of how to differentiate those two. And really it's a subjective uh, experience for each one of us. Um, and that's something we need to find and make sure that we're fulfilling because this emotion right here will definitely let us know um, when, when we're not fulfilling that need, okay? Now, let's differentiate loneliness from social rejection, okay? So both loneliness and social rejection come from uh, a loss of close relationships or, or social connection. Social rejection usually is more on the level of being rejected by um, someone significant in our in our world, but the difference between the experience of loneliness is this is an emotional motivational state. Social rejection in the brain is experienced as a physical experience. Okay, the areas of the brain that become active. Uh, let, let me give you the research paradigm. It's a, it's a computer, it's a little computer game uh, that was designed to study, you know, rejection. And, and in this game, you're gonna have you, the participant who's in the MRI machine, and you're gonna uh, pass this ball on the screen to another participant who is actually fake, you don't know them, you don't have a relationship with them, you don't meet them, and then they'll throw it to another fictitious, someone you'll never meet, and then that person will throw it back to you, and then you continue doing this, this, uh, this game, as you would say. But sometime during the game, what happens is the other two uh, participants exclude you. They start just passing the ball back and forth to each other. Now you would think 
how would that have any impact on, on me, on my psychology, on my, 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 my abilities? Well, what we find is, is the pain regions in the brain start to um, be active. The, 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 the same pain areas that you experience when you break your leg or you cut your finger start to become active. If we look at it from a neurochemical perspective, it's the opioid areas of the brain that start to, to go off because it's trying to get rid of that pain, okay? And so with social rejection, this is the physical aspect of social loss. When we're rejected, it is the physical opioid areas of the brain that start to fire. And indeed, uh, other research has shown if you want to reduce the uh, um, experience of social rejection, um, Tylenol works really well instead of, uh, um, you know, some of the other poor uh, recommendations we get when we're socially rejected that actually uh, taking some Tylenol for two, three days will actually reduce your feelings of rejection, which is kind of an interesting thing. It won't take away the loneliness, but it will get rid of those pains of rejection. All right, how do we know how people will respond to rejection, to social rejection? And we found that the best measure of how someone will experience social rejection is to look at their pain tolerance. So how much pain, physical pain can a person tolerate before they seek help or seek some type of treatment, okay? We find that same exact measure also will measure how intensely a person will experience rejection. The lower your physical pain tolerance, the more you're going to feel that rejection. The higher your pain tolerance, the lower you will experience that rejection. So this is another subjective part of this, is it really depends on how you physically respond to pain altogether, which tells us how you'll respond to being rejected socially, okay? So I wanted to just to bring this up uh, and kind of give these some definitions. Now, why, why is it so important to belonging? And I'm not gonna go over this in too much detail, but we know that there's an, a cognitive of self-awareness needing to control and predict our world. And we're gonna talk about this. Uh, the reason why I'm gonna kind of quickly go through this is because we're going to revisit this when we look at different disorders and see how that these factors are, are um, influenced. But the other part of belonging is as esteem or effective, the ability to get feedback that provides us with the ability to grow and develop and the ability to be around people who we find safe and, 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 and want to be around, okay? But <clears throat> I'm gonna <clears throat> continue on on this because what I want to talk about is the influence of one we don't have sufficient um, uh, people in our life, okay? These two uh, diagrams, um, represent uh, a sample of, of individuals who participated in a research, okay? The two uncircled uh, ones, these two right here, 
the, and on this blue one, this, these two right here, what these represent are our control conditions in the experiment. So either we have the person take a measure of loneliness and emotions, or we have them do something unrelated, like read a story and then take a measure. And this establishes these baselines, okay? So, the, so this blue line and this green line, what these lines represent is what you would expect in, in the population to be the mean for loneliness in these cases, okay? <clears throat> the thing that we were truly interested in in the experiment are these two bars that are circled, okay? The first one, the bar in each of the, these uh, bar graphs, is what we did in the original research, and we've done it since then with other types of social identities, is um, a social identity is being anything that uh, the world provides us with. So being a student, being a mother, being a father, a sibling, a employee, a psychologist, all of those things that connect us with our world because of the role that it has and the meaning that it has in our life, okay? So in this situation, in the social identity, the first original research, we used students, college students. And what all we did is we asked, what are five positive things about being a student that you value, okay? And so they would list the five things and then they would take our loneliness, emotional, um, 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 uh, uh, measurement. In the second category, what we have people do is we say what we want to know is what are five positive qualities about you that makes you unique. This is what we call our personal identity category. Personal identity is those things that make you unique, separate from everyone else. Why you go in a room and there's so many different people is because of this component, okay? And what we find is, and this is interesting, remember these are the baselines. When we reflect only on us and our unique qualities, we are twice as lonely and have twice the amount almost based on our baseline um, of, of experiencing these negative emotions and motivational states, okay? But when we reflect on our qualities as they're connected to the world we exist in, not only are we lower than baseline, we're about three times lower than when we're reflecting only on ourself, okay? So let me put this into context as far as mental health is concerned, is when we look at countries like the United States um, and we look at places, uh, let's compare to the East, there's something called individualism. Individualism is this notion that because of who I am, I am responsible for my success and failure. That there's no connection to other people. If I fail, I fail, and it's because of me. If I succeed, I succeed, it's because of me, okay? Um, and, and what we find is, is in communities 
where people measure really high indiv in individualism, we see higher rates of mental health issues, higher rates of prescription medications for antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications taken, okay? It's only in communities where there's a sense of community, a sense of place, where we see better mental health outcomes, we see less use of prescription medications for mental health issues, okay? So we want to keep this in mind because again, we're gonna start talking about disorders starting next week. And one of the hard things about having a disorder and trying to maintain some type of mental health with a disorder is a lot of times individuals who have disorders are rejected or put on the fringe of everything else. They tend to be more isolated and, and people are not so inclusive with them, which makes becoming more mentally healthy more difficult for people who have disorders and those things to achieve, okay? All right, so let's look at this model from a larger perspective, okay? So we're gonna expand this out. This gray box right here is everything that can be predicted above confidence rate by this process of this, these circles and the, the, the triangle, and I think that's a stop sign, I don't know. All of this can be predicted by these variables up here, okay? So what is the first variable? Denial, loss, or damage to one's social identity or place in the world as they're connected to other people. This leads people to question, where do I belong in the world? And who do I belong to in the world? Which leads to social loneliness and emotional loneliness. The combination of these two types of events leads a person to what's called failure to, sur to survive. This is where we have more sick days from work. We, we sleep more than we usually do, or maybe we can't sleep at all. Um, it's when we're not motivated to be engaged with our family. It's when we're not being the best parent, for example, or the best son or daughter. It's when we start having difficulties in our intimate relationships. That's what we call failure to survive, okay? And this is everything that this predicts. I've mentioned this uh, when I talked about loneliness uh, last Thursday is they both predict mortality and morbidity. Mortality is the probability based on a person's life events and who they are of the age they're going to live to, okay? Or the age that they will pass away if we wanna use the, that terminology. Morbidity is the probability of getting some type of physical chronic chronic illness, you know, such as heart disease, um, diabetes, those types of things, okay? And as I mentioned uh, a couple times now, this process right here predicts mortality and morbidity just as good, if not better, than smoking and drinking habits, eating habits, and exercise habits, and uh, you know our sleeping wake cycle habits. And so just having that failure really does uh, influence our outcomes.
we're going to spend some time once we get through disorders and talk really specifically about suicidal and suicidal behavior okay because it is an important topic and if we think about it along with homicide and mass shootings it is really the ultimate end of any type of disordered or mental health problem um, the unfortunate part about it and so we'll spend quite a bit of time but i will say i think i i can't remember if i mentioned this last time we were together one of the things uh, i did um, uh, when i worked for university of montana is uh, montana and alaska uh, vie for who has the most suicides compared to any other state right now it's the state of montana um, in a couple years it might be alaska again but they tend to have the two highest rates in the nation and so they have a vested interest in knowing about it and what's causing it <clears throat> and what they found is and i should also say these two states also score really high in individualism just putting that out there but what I did when I worked in Montana is I got all of the coroner reports for people who committed suicide in 2014, 15, and 16. And I analyzed to see what maybe the primary causes of that suicide was. And it fell into two categories, really. The smaller of the categories were physical chronic illnesses that were causing pain or just too much turmoil for the person to continue living, okay? That was a smaller category. The larger category was people who uh, experienced some type of loss in their world that was significant to them. Loss of a job, loss of a loved one, uh, being rejected by an intimate partner, those kinds of things. And this actually fits with national trends that we see on suicide rates where the the individuals that are at most risk for suicide are between the age of 55 and 65 uh, and and this is most uh, for men and we're seeing this rate during this time increase for women as women are being more in the career field and the work field because <clears throat> what's happening between 55 and 65 is we start to disengage from one of our most important identities, and that's our work and what we do for a living. We're getting, we're heading towards retirement. And we have our coworkers and friends who are retiring, some are passing away, and we're starting to disengage, uh, maybe having less responsibilities in the workplace. And we feel a sense of loss of that identities that we had. And we find that that drives a lot of suicide rates. We actually find that individuals who maintain strong friendships, maintain some type of identity they, that they get got from their workplace, uh, live in social communities. Those are the individuals who uh, get to enjoy their golden years. They're the individuals who live healthier longer they're the ones who uh, tend to be able to be more engaged in their world they're individuals who uh, have less cognitive decline that is associated with older age so 
we'll come back to this topic. I feel like I'm going on a tangent. Uh, we'll come back to this and talk about this more specifically later. We know this drives addictions, uh, homelessness, relationship problems, things like chronic homelessness, psychological mood disorders, which uh, is what we're heading towards, right? Criminal behavior, and these are all things that after we get through disorders, we're gonna be talking about, okay? Uh, this one, this gang affiliation is kind of interesting. It comes from uh, research in sociology where sociologists went into intercity gangs and they looked at how they're structured and their recruitment process. And what they learned is, is that in those inner city gangs, the recruiters don't necessarily go look for the people who have good connections with their home, doing good in school, smart, very connected. They're looking for the disenfranchised people who are living in that area. The ones that seem to be the loners, the ones that seem to not have a healthy home life. And those are the individuals in inner city gangs that get recruited because what that gang is going to do is give that individual a, a, a people to be with. They're gonna become their people. They're gonna make them feel wanted, part of them. And that's why the initiations and everything that they do are, are really a process of making sure that that person has a place they feel they belong, okay? Uh, when we look at prejudice and hatred, okay, in the last um, 13 years, we've seen a rise in what's called white supremacy and hate crimes coming specifically from white communities towards minority groups, okay? Um, and what uh, one of the main driving forces is also in the last 13 years, we're seeing that white people in the United States are starting to become the minority population while the minority populations are growing at a higher rate. In fact, I think, um, I don't know if they've adjusted this. I need to go look at the literature again. I believe it's 2025 or 2027 where white people are going to be the minority in the United States. They're no longer gonna be the majority population. And what this has caused um, is, is what's called terror threat theory. And this is when a person feels like there's another group coming in and taking their quote unquote jobs, their culture, their place, that there's a aggressive reaction towards those groups, okay? Um, we can look at this, uh, for example, with uh, Don, the, the elections of Donald Trump in his campaign. He was, he, he said, uh, I can't, I can't, I don't remember, but he was basically talking about people from Mexico coming to the United States and they're raping our women, they're bringing the drugs, they're bringing the crime, they're bringing all of these things, that group. So it's not me as that white person anymore. I'm not causing that. The destruction of my culture is being caused by that group. And if we look at Donald Trump's poll numbers after he made that comment, they tripled. That's when a lot of uh, uh, political psychologists believe 
that's when uh, uh, I can't remember who was running against him at the time. Um, whoever he was running against, um, Hillary Clinton. That's that that was the moment where Hillary Clinton for sure lost that election is when he made those comments because he solidified his base. And so we're seeing this when when feel when people are feeling disenfranchised or whatever, that it can increase uh, prejudice and hatred towards others. And we're also going to uh, when we talk about suicide. We also need to talk about another concept. Sometimes it's called self-harm or self-hatred behaviors uh, because the two behaviors look very similar from the outside, but they have two separate driving forces, okay? And so we will want to explore that as we move forward, okay? So this is, again, the model that we want to go. We want to go to the counter of this. We want to have strong identities. We want to make sure we're making good social connections with our world and those types of things. Okay, I'm gonna stop my screen right here because that kind of finishes. I'm gonna stop the live stream.